millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. Uh, before we get started, a quick announcement. We're going to be in Scotland next week covering the Edinburgh International Television Festival. And we can only do that because of people like you. Thank you, everyone, who's taken out a voluntary subscription to this show. You're the reason we can go to places and cover events. Join our supporters. Go to themediapodcast.com and support this independent media podcast. Uh, Also, big thanks as well to Media Masters, who are sponsoring this edition of the programme. You'll find out who's on their show this week later. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, what does the rise of Lad Bible say about online viewing? Are view counts as reliable as they should be? Less than a week before the TV festival, we pick our top sessions and weigh up our expectations for the keynote by Vice's Shane Smith. Plus, with the exit of head Emma Swain, we assess the state of BBC Factual. Someone's bought troubled Gorka Media. We'll explain who and why. And in the media quiz, we rescue three stories Stories from Linear Armageddon. That's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me at the Hospital Club this morning, it's the Deputy Editor of Metro.co.uk, Alex Hudson. Hello, Alex. Good morning. What have you been up to? Um, This morning, I interviewed a horse whisperer whose first words were, I'm not really a horse whisperer, the PR just made me say that. So (laughs) irritating when they do that, isn't it? It's like Paul McCartney's son. He's like, yeah, I just don't want to talk about my dad if that's okay. It's like, that's why you're here. She was lovely and really interesting, but she's like, no, I I train horses and communicate with them and, you know, we hang out and we roam wild. But as far as the film The Horse Whisperer or any of that, it wasn't quite the tabloid sensation that I was hoping for. Yeah. I, I once went to interview a witch in Glastonbury and uh, that was the basis for the whole feature and then she said yeah I'm not really a witch I just sell herbs <laughs> uh, also joining us pertinently for this time of the year uh, is the director of the Edinburgh International Television Festival and former editor of Broadcast Magazine it's Lisa Campbell hello Lisa good morning welcome back to the show less than a week to go I imagine you might be a bit busy I'm still standing, just... <laughs> is this, this is the time, basically, your phone's just constantly ringing with people saying, yeah, I can't make that session, and can we move this? And- Not too bad at the moment on that front, but, yeah, it's probably likely to happen, but, um, yeah. No, it's all good. I'm really excited. I'm excited to be going to Edinburgh, and you listeners should be very excited as well. We're going to bring you an extra special edition of the Media Podcast between our fortnightly editions next week as we venture up to Edinburgh as well. More on that later. Uh, but first, let's talk about what most people are talking about in the country at the moment, what they're watching at home, the Olympics. Uh, what do we make of the BBC coverage thus far? John Inverdale. John Inverdale is my favourite person for just how terrible he is at his 
very casual sexist comments that are now finally being called out. He's done it at Wimbledon, he's done it at the rowing, and now he's done it during the tennis when he said to Andy Murray, oh, you've won two gold medals, you're the first person to do that. And Andy Murray just replied, yeah, you know, you know the, the Williams sisters with all of their medals? <laughs> just happen to not just forget the fact that there are women playing the sport as well? Yeah, and the spats between him and Steve Redgrave are just classic, aren't they? But in Venice the Man, he's presenting a live TV broadcast and, you know, sometimes your brain plays tricks and he's excited. He's talking to Andy Murray just as he steps off the tennis court. I know that's his job. but Yeah, he we must can have... forgive the odd faux pas, but it's just constant, really. He does it again and again, and, and bless him. Like it's, it's bless him. No, it, it's what it's what he thinks. It is, it is what he. It's a sort of mindset that he is in, and it's not sexism, and it's outward pushing things out to you know. So it's everyday sexism is the term that's used, and it's you know it's not as horrible as some sexism that goes on, but it's as prevalent, if not more prevalent, than any other sexism of just forgetting that women exist. You know, you have football and you have women's football. You have athletics and you have women's athletics. And if you play into that, and if you hire presenters who engage in that philosophy then you keep having sport and women's sport rather than just sport. Did you see the story today about the Egyptian state broadcaster telling eight of its TV ho- female TV hosts that they need to go on a diet, they've got a month to lose weight to get an appropriate appearance for TV? Okay, but let's just step down off our high-worthy pommel horses <laughs> for a second uh, and uh, let's all celebrate Claire Balding. We can all agree on that, right? She's great. Yes. She is lovely. She's great. And what about the business of, thanks for joining us on BBC One, now we're going to BBC Two, and then you turn on BBC Two and it says, thanks for joining us on BBC One. I mean, it's a bit of a painful sort of rearranging of all the schedules, isn't it? It is. To be honest, I'm watching most of it on iPlayer. I just, I think that's absolutely brilliant. It's so easy and accessible you can find exactly what you want at the point you want it's it's so user friendly i you know it was brilliant the last time around in 2012 and, and you know and it's better this time so hats off to the bbc for the digital coverage absolutely yeah they have been doing that very well especially the greco-roman wrestling i got into that last time around <laughs> because i it was the only thing i could get a ticket for now i'm a big fan more so than ever before there is more viral things there are people using their penises to fail at the pole vault there are there is there is that that bloke who spent about half an hour on Twitter bigging himself up in the hurdles and fell, like quite literally fell at the first hurdle and went straight (laughs) through and you just run videos of that and of course it's beautiful because no one's up at whatever time that's on but in the morning everyone's like, okay, what stupid thing happened yesterday? And the cycling's been amazing and that guy who sits at the front of the race on that bike and just leads them and does nothing he's, he's like a guy on a moped looking for the pizza delivery like, leads anyone them and does pizza? nothing yeah. I presume this is a man that's spent probably a decade training at cycling uh, okay. I won that job though it looks really really <laughs> relaxing ok well good you've lined up your next gig in case the firefighting doesn't go well uh, let's move on to uh, one of the big viral stories of the week because Facebook's algorithms have made some big content providers from BuzzFeed to Upworthy well now Lad Bible has joined them Reportedly, Press Gazette says the site is the most watched video provider in the whole of Europe. Uh, Alex, that's a big claim. Is it true? Um, I have a feeling that producer Matt is going to extensively edit this rant because it's going to be long. So, firstly, the research is by Tubular Labs, who are in partnership, working on a content partnership with Lad Bible. It's a single-source research from a company whose job it is to make Lad Bible look better. Okay. Also, viewing figures for video online is completely 
complete nonsense. Facebook in the back end gives you two different viewing statistics, a three second view and a 10 second view. That could be on a 10 minute, one hour, three hour video. If you've watched it for three seconds, it counts as a view. If you've watched it for 10 seconds, it counts as a view. Lad Bible are including Vine loops in what this viewing count accounts for. I can't imagine what Disney are, to be honest. Albeit that Lad Bible are what half a billion views bigger, apparently, according to Tubular Labs. Is, you know, at what point is a view a view? If you talk about a podcast listen, you generally listen to the whole thing. If you are listening to a 30-second clip of the podcast, does that count as if you listen to the entire podcast? If you have watched a video... If our advertisers are listening, then yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) But I take your point. You know, Lad Bible is the most watched video provider in Europe. At what point has it affected the most change, or at what point has it been the most engaging video? So one of the most popular Facebook Lives on the internet is Lad Bible's video of ice cream melting. It's funny, it's hilarious, it's fascinating, it's not changed. It's it's not journalism, I'm sure we'll come on to that later with Gorka, but... And when you say Facebook Lives, because to the uh, uninitiated, you know, a lot of people have heard of Facebook Live, but frankly can't be asked to watch a live stream on Facebook. You're saying one of the most popular Facebook Lives retrospectively. So it's live when it's made, but then people do go back and watch it like a YouTube video. People do go back and watch it, but I think the thing with that we're finding increasingly with Facebook Live is it has to be something to be seen then to be exciting. So we're running competitions, in fact, this very afternoon. Go to Metro.co.uk on Facebook. Um, and every and, view counts as a view. And, and you, can, you, <laughs> no, you can win some good stuff. So, and, But... It's things that need to be seen live. So Lad Babble have tried it with ice cream. They've tried it with... Um, they glued, they super glued a pound coin to the floor and just l- left a camera on it. BuzzFeed spent an hour and a half adding rubber bands to a watermelon until it exploded. Um, Elite Daily has gaffer taped a man up to a wall until it stuck him to the wall and they removed the chair from under him this is what people are consuming on Facebook Live and it's not the stuff that's going to lose David Attenborough any sleep is it really? it's not but I think there's so like I've, I've been on this podcast before saying that when Periscope first came out that this changes how stories are produced which thank goodness Facebook stepped in to make <laughs> make live video more practical but what it does do is it, uh, it Facebook is willing to add views to a thing. It's uh, YouTube views. It's fifty percent completion rate. Facebook, it's three seconds okay. completion. I'm going to live edit this rant. Stop there for a second. <laughs> we'll we'll come back to Lad Bible itself as a brand, but just on the point then about Facebook video views and whether a three second counts or a ten second counts. Lisa, that is actually a really relevant point these days, isn't it? It is. It's it's completely valid, and we've had lots of these conversations when we've been planning Edinburgh actually um, about well whether it's the speakers that we should be having and the kind of debates we're having and it's it's a concern for everyone that there isn't an effective measurement system that that we can all rely on and we can't trust the figures and i think you know i think you know absolutely right to say we can question this report completely um i, th- I think it's it's great marketing from lad bible though i do i do feel that they they sort of they feel like they're everywhere they're very talked about they you know the way that they are targeting this fickle audience and they seem to have captured so many and the way they divide it up with the different brands lad bible sport bible gaming bible um i'll probably be able to talk about it more knowledgeably after edinburgh because we've got a session called what men want and it's it's looking exactly at this what what do these viewers want because interestingly male viewers to advertisers are worth almost twice as much as female viewers so they're a really lucrative audience and they're actually quite difficult to target so I think there's lessons to be learned from Lab Bible about how they do it and how some of the online um, platforms are doing it um, we're going to be showing some interesting research from Channel 4 on that and there are some real surprises there you know it's not just Nazis and sharks that 
that guys want to watch. So I think there's some fascinating stuff to, to look at in this particular genre of male viewing as well. Yeah, but it's particularly in the case of Lad Bible, isn't it, Alex, what young men want as opposed to what men want? Because probably, I'm guessing, you know, the 50-something man is still into the, the Nazis and the Sharks. Uh, <laughs> young men, it seems from the kind of videos you're describing, actually what they want is um, slightly ironised, flippant nonsense. <laughs> I think the one thing that Lad Bible has done very well is they've created a brand where people can submit. So their user-generated content thing is is as good, if not better, than anyone else. So And they've got a very good business model where they sell and franchise those videos out to other organisations. And what they've done is they've harnessed that community. If you look at joe.co.uk, which is a sort of new upstarting, its, its tagline is for men, not lads. So it's deliberately going straight for the Lad Bible audience of the slightly more intelligent or slightly more middle class audience but it's as you say the advertising revenue is there and it's hard to reach but slowly the internet is understanding how the male audience works and Lad Bible have done it better like the people who run Lad Bible and Sport Bible and every other Bible are incredibly gifted at what they do they know how to target an audience they know how to hit it it's just what resonance does that have so if you think half an hour after watching something does it stick with you and I think that's the question that they're trying to answer and they're doing a good job at starting the answer but they haven't answered it yet okay and one final point on this digital story uh, we've, we've got something about the telegraph coming up next so old media fans don't worry you are being catered for as ever uh, but one final question on this lisa when you look at these kinds of facebook numbers coming in whether you question how the figures are constructed or not do you think traditional broadcasters that aren't thinking about how their content works on facebook are just being foolish Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we've got Vice CEO Shane Smith delivering the McTaggart lecture this year. It's about disrupting the media landscape and how sustainable is it? You know, are they sort of flashing the pan or otherwise? And, and, you know, Shane Smith is going to be hugely provocative. There may well be lessons to learn about targeting elusive millennials, um, but we're going to be grilling him the following day in the post McTaggart with Jay Hunt from Channel 4. And I think that will be really fascinating to hear old media essentially come head to head with with the new media and how sustainable and viable this, this model is, the business model or their branded content like Lad Bible the branded content, the way that is integrated with, with editorial and, and, the, and the audience don't seem to mind. I mean, that's something that obviously the rules are different on broadcast TV, but it's something that we just haven't cracked. OK, thanks for that. And listeners, don't worry. I, too, have observed that she's using every answer to plug the TV <laughs> festival. I'm not going to let relevant. her plug the same session twice. Uh, so by the end of the show, you'll have gone through the whole schedule. Uh, right, let's move on to the next story. The Guardian are reporting that independent owner Evgeny Lebedev, I met him once, nice guy, good shoes, uh, attempted to buy The Telegraph from the Barclay Brothers earlier this year. Now, he was one of two potential buyers sniffing around, the other being a consortium led by Richard Addis, uh, former editor of The Express. Now, Alex, this story would have happened chronologically at exactly the same time that the independent newspaper was being closed. So on the one hand, the Lebedevs are saying, print's dead, and on the other hand, here's a couple of hundred million or so for the Telegraph. Why do you think they wanted the Telegraph? Because there is a much, much louder voice. The Telegraph always has had and always will have a much louder voice to the communities that the Lebedevs want to reach. If you look at the political classes, if you look at particularly the Conservative Party and how you influence those sorts of people the telegraph is much louder in those circles the independent is younger it's not steeped in history as a telegraph is and that's why it's still worth the money and you are still selling newspapers the telegraph's audience are older they are richer and there is still that heritage of physical newspaper it won't last because you know physical paper it will die but there is still another 10 15 years of that paper existing in paper form and with the innovations that the telegraph digitally are doing 
at trying to target that same market. It's, it's difficult because an older market are more difficult to reach, but it's going through a lot of change that is probably going to make Telegraph worth a lot of money. Yeah, what's your take on that? I mean, I'm aware you work for a competitor, but looking at the Telegraph site, do you see them as a serious competitor? It seems to me their digital presence is much improved in the last year or so. It's much improved, but we're going for different markets. So Telegraph still, still swings older, and I think there's a lot to be said about the what Deloitte did when they came in and worked out which staff were worth the money they were worth and they got rid of the people who were said to be not worth any money I can't talk much more about that because you're about to employ some of them no once again not talking about that either so <laughs> <laughs> I bet he is there's um, a couple of those journalists I'd employ if I was you, so mm. I don't blame you. But no, I think with, with the people they chose to get rid of, it, there were some interesting choices in there. There were people who were relatively, without mentioning any names deliberately, there were people who were relatively big on social media who had a presence and a, a the term personal brand around themselves that means they're very employable elsewhere. So why would The Telegraph get rid of them at a time when it's <coughs> trying to skew to a younger market? And that's where those people were. And morale's still pretty low there. Uh, more job cuts to come, seven editors in the last 12 years. I, I don't think it's just there. I think there are relatively few publishers where there aren't job cuts being made. I think happily, Metro.co.uk at the moment, like Crossing Fingers, isn't one of those, is, is one of those places. But if you look at The Independent and the way The Independent is going, if you look at The Telegraph, the way The Telegraph is going, The Times doesn't quite know where it is yet. And journalism still doesn't have a business model online. So saying that with like genuinely sort of a slight flutter in my stomach was there of we need to work very hard at making it financially sustainable because we haven't yet. Let's talk about another property of Lebedev's that he does actually own, The Independent. They've come under fire this week after dropping an opinion piece which was critical of the Turkish president for fear of reprisals against its reporter. Uh, Alex, what happened exactly? There was a piece comparing the work in Turkey to the Third Reich. And that's quite a strong line. Reading through the article, it's not the most thoroughly researched, but they, they put it out there. And it depends on which version of the story you believe as to whether Turkey actually put pressure on the independent to make it vanish or the indep- whether the independent just feared for the life of one of their reporters who was out there. So it's tricky to gauge. So the Turkey were very clear in saying they did not put any pressure, but they're kind of OK that it's gone now. And the independent were very, very keen to say they don't want their journalists being killed. And, you know, he's the Turkish um, Turkish president, Turkish prime minister. Erdogan, yeah. Uh, uh, he's got a thorough history of not being that kind to journalists. It's sort of difficult for us to comment because we don't really know how serious the, the death threat is. And, and, I mean, you can only imagine that they've taken it this seriously to take an article down, which goes against everything the independent stands for. It goes against its entire track record. So there must they must have really serious concerns about the the life of this reporter I think to to have done this and I think it's absolutely vital that these stories are still written because if the foreign press aren't covering this with the media crackdown that's been taking place in Turkey well we'll never know we'll never we'll never get the facts I mean it's you know 45 newspapers 29 publishing houses 23 radio stations 16 TV channels etc have closed according to the International Federation of Journalists so I mean it's it's a hugely worrying crackdown on free speech and also, Alex, it hints at a couple of issues with digital publishing, doesn't it? 
One that people might associate just because they're under the same brand. The opinions of one journalist in an opinion piece with the brand itself and other journalists representing that brand. And two, um, that uh, if you publish something online, it never dies. It's not the same as in the old days when it would be in that day's newspaper and five months later everyone would have forgotten that you wrote it. That's entirely true. The second that you've published it, even if you take it down, if you take it down it gets read more by more people in more countries in more places for the exact reason that what was it in this piece that made it get taken down and I think I see it from both sides so two years ago before I was an editor why on earth would you take anything down I'm reporting I'm reporting things which need to be reported I'm giving my opinions it is vital that my voice is heard I was very gung-ho about it and now coming back as like an editor you're like if one of my journalists got killed because of my editorial choices fuck like at what point at what point do you actually put human life before journalism? I'm still very gung-ho and like, journalism comes first, the story, and there is so much in that Turkey story, so much that we don't know. There are so many conspiracy theories and so many different variants of how that coup happened, exactly the mechanics of how that coup worked, that foreign newspapers, because Turkey doesn't have a free press anymore at all, I think the Independent, I forget the quote, but the Independent said it themselves, that the foreign newspaper has to put it into account. And if you're being given a platform by a newspaper, you are the voice of the entire newspaper. Think about the amount of stick Owen Jones gets for mm. being so Guardian. Think about the amount of stick The Guardian gets for being so Owen Jones. It works in both ways. Well, and this is the point, Lisa, about the other journalists at The Guardian who aren't Owen Jones, isn't it? I mean, it is difficult. You will get seen that way. You know, you think about poor reporters who are doing their best to, to provide genuinely fair and balanced coverage for Fox News, but they're going out there with a the Fox News mic. Everyone's <laughs> going to assume they're rabid Trump supporters. There's such an appetite, though, isn't there, for, for the personalities in, in the media? And that's the content that's shared, isn't it? You know, very strong opinion, a real polemic. This sort of impartial sitting on the fence stuff just doesn't, doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't hit home so I think it's all you know kind of clickbait comes into it too more media news in just a tick but first let's take a break to find out who is on media masters this week with Paul Blanchard it's Chris Wright right it's Chrysalis founder Chris Wright who launched the careers of Blondie and Spandau Ballet and founded Heart Radio let's hear a taster I would have sold the radio business a bit before we did we sat around the board table the guy that was running the radio division said it was worth 400 million. I thought, well, you know, it's crazy. It's not anything like that. If we could get 400 million, it would be, a, it would be like the sale of the century. I think the froth was coming off the top. And we were trying to buy other, other radio station operators. And we couldn't. We, wanted, we knew we needed to get bigger. We were trying to buy other stations. We couldn't buy them. If we couldn't get bigger... We knew we'd be squeezed by the by the, the two biggest operators and we had to consider the fact that we would sell it. Chris Wright there. You can hear all the Media Masters interviews for free on the Media Focus podcast. I'd highly recommend the Jeremy Vine one. If you want to be a presenter, it's essential listening. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, you may have noticed... That it's the Edinburgh International Television Festival around the corner. <laughs> uh, you might have mentioned it once or twice. So. Uh, the media podcast, as I said, will be there with all the best news and outrageous gossip from the sessions next week. Remember to subscribe to get it. Uh, let's talk about our picks for the festival. Actually, you're going to go last on this one, if that's okay. Okay. Um, because I, I think you, making you choose between your children might be tough. Uh, but looking at what you've got planned... Uh, I quite like the sound of uh, Andy Wilman talking about the Grand Tour. I think that's probably a must-see. Everyone wants to know what's going on with Clarkson and Hammond and all the rest of it. Sally Wainwright, 
uh, talking about writing Happy Valley. That, for me, is the TV drama of the year. Uh, and you've got a session on the Friday called, and I'm paraphrasing here, Is VR a Load of Bollocks? Uh, which, <laughs> it, you know, I very much am interested in because I do wonder whether the future of television really is sitting there with a virtual reality helmet on. So those are three things that I've chosen. Alex, anything catch your eye? Um, I think going on from the Amazon thing, I think Roy Price of, actu- of actually trying to work out exactly where Amazon are and where they're pitching. Because at the moment, Amazon isn't quite there when it comes... If, con- if you're looking at Amazon's direct play on Netflix... There's, there's, there is a comparison, but it's not a favourable comparison when it comes to Amazon. So hearing what he has to say is fascinating. Hearing Charlotte Moore, the, the victor of the whole BBC debacle, is fascinating because no one quite knows. I don't think even she knows exactly what that role fully entails yet because the BBC is going through that change until it gets a new charter and when the new charter happens it will make more sense. But that just the second that the questions from the audience come or the second that, that she's challenged on exactly what she thinks about well, the audience will have a million different things to ask her. That's fascinating. And, of course, I think Shane, Shane Smith is a new media mogul going into old media platforms. So you're, uh, has Viceland launched in the UK yet? Launches in September. So it's a UK network that came from a, well, a, a skater magazine first, but, you know, a sort of in-print magazine that then took on the internet and winning due to its content partnerships. And now it's going back to TV. Like, he's obviously brilliant, but it's working out how your mind goes from here to here to here to here to here to all over the place. Yeah. It'll be fascinating to hear. Yeah, two sessions there where it will be very interesting to sort of work out the strategy behind the people at the top. Lisa, you've mentioned a couple of sessions already, so we know who's doing the McTaggart. We've chosen our sessions. You're allowed to choose one more we haven't mentioned yet. What have, what have uh, we not mentioned that's worth seeing? Not the free events. I'll ask you about those in a sec. I think Brian Singer, X-Men director, yes. in conversation with... Peter Rice, the Fox chairman. That's one of the things I really like about the festival this year, that we've got amazing, you know, the greats of of their particular genre in peer-to-peer conversations. So with Sally Wainwright, you've got Russell T. Davis talking to Sally Wainwright. That was two, but I'll let you have two. Um, But let's ask you about those three events now. This is something that I think will be really welcome to a lot of listeners to the show, because you know, I know we have a lot of you uh, high-ranking TV executives tuning in, but frankly, a lot of people listening to this are runners, researchers, producers, journalists. They can't afford hundreds of quid. They don't go to Edinburgh to the TV festival. They rely on us for the coverage. But if you are there in Edinburgh this year, there's stuff you can go to for free. Yeah, and that's something I'm really passionate about is is making the festival feel accessible to, to the next generation, essentially. And we've got lots of really loyal, very senior people. But, you know, I, I want to support the next generation coming through I want them to feel inspired and perhaps think about a job in TV you know members of the public who hadn't considered it before um, so we've got things like uh, the McTaggart for the first time in its 41 year history is going to be open to the public and that's at the Playhouse Theatre in Edinburgh so I do think sparks will fly with, with Shane Smith and I think that's going to be worth watching um, and then as I said Sharon Horgan I think this will be absolutely unmissable um, you've got Frankie Boyle and Sharon Horgan in a head to head talking about breaking the boundaries of comedy um, you know, comedy bit for them should be a risky genre. They're going to they're going to talk about uh, failed projects. They're going to talk about how things get through. They're talking about commissioning. I think they'll be it'll be controversial and again fireworks. I think and free screenings as well. Yeah, so so you can buy tickets to that. So that's in the convention centre. And then the screenings are taking place in the film house, Red Dwarf. We've got. Craig Charles and creators Doug Naylor and Robert Llewellyn. Uh, we've to be clear, got, this is the new series of Red Dwarf. You're not just the new old series. The yes, 80s, no, yeah. no, and and I think that's kind of testament to the to the festival really that the broadcasters are now deciding to show great new hit shows uh, as exclusive premieres there. So we've got Red Dwarf. We've got Kevin Bishop uh, with the new Porridge. 
the new series of much-loved series like Poldark and The Fall, and Ronald D. Moore doing a sci-fi masterclass with, uh, you know, Star Trek and Outlander. Okay, that's more than enough. Uh, we'll <laughs> stick the links to all of that, uh, and for tickets for those cheaper or free events on our site, themediapodcast.com. Uh, just check out the show notes for this podcast. Right, let's cover some of the other stories doing the rounds this week. The entertainment union Bechtu has criticised Project Diamond. That's the TV industry's new scheme to monitor diversity in programme making. Lisa, without reference to your session on diversity, <laughs> tell us about this story. Well, Project Diamond is it's a very ambitious new monitoring scheme. So the idea is that you're going to be able to get the figures from all the broadcasters as to exactly the makeup of their on-screen talent and behind the scenes and so that we can see just how diverse the industry really is. There hasn't been a a benchmarking system like this and it has been an absolute nightmare to get through. I mean, we were supposed to do something last year at Edinburgh and unable to because it's just been rumbling on and trying to get agreement and Data Protection Act issues. It's finally being launched, but Beck2 now have problems with it um, or have done for some time because they don't feel it's transparent enough they want every single program to be reported which is difficult because clearly there are thousands and thousands of hours and what what the CDN have been trying to do is work with the broadcasters to get the data on specific genre and I think I think it's right actually I think if if we just keep going and trying to get it absolutely perfect it will just never happen I think we start it launch it and then see what improvements you can make so I, I totally get you know, back to his point, and we have to be as transparent as possible. But I also feel quite alarmed that they are encouraging members to boycott this and not to fill in the data because that's just not going to help. You know, I really just think I'd like to see everyone trying to work together and work through the problems. Uh, another telly story, a uh, big shout out to former factual boss Emma Swain, who leaves the BBC after 20 years at the corporation. Uh, Lisa, give us a sense of some of her success at the Beeb and whether her departure is going to leave a, a gap. Uh, Well, she was there for 20 years. Um, She joined in the factual role and she was behind some really, you know, biggest landmark series for the BBC, Lambing Live, Don't Tell the Bride, Stargazing, Bake Off. She most recently has been um, Director of Future Commissioning Channels and Online, um, which I think for some felt like a bit of a W1A role, a bit bit kind of Director of Better. Um, Not least because one of her tasks was to predict the kind of content the BBC should be commissioning in five years time I think for anyone to have a five-year plan these days is is completely crazy and in fact Emma's also presided over a period of massive change um, within that factual department it's been a really turbulent department there's been lots of departures um, and I'm, you know, it's now it's now in a, in good shape. I think with um, Alison Kirkham heading that up, I think that's a, a strong pair of hands. Um, it's a really Im- important department. It's had issues with um, with commissioning. Uh, it was something that um, <clears throat> the former director of television, Danny Cohen, echoed some research on on the commissioning survey that broadcasted, um, which was you know pointing out the 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 lack of uh, respect really I think for producers meetings being cancelled and factual the factual team were singled out as one of the worst to deal with in fact the rudest commissioners of all were were the ones at the BBC so they've they've tried to rectify that they've tried to really sort of um, you know restructure that that department and I think the changes are still going on. But actually I mean it's really interesting when you talk about you know what shows should the BBC be commissioning in five years time 
Uh, from a factual point of view, Alex, actually, the, the, when you look at the things, the very subjects uh, that uh, Lisa just mentioned there, you know, stargazing, lambing live, Bake Off, I mean, cooking, nature, uh, you know, <laughs> astronomy. Brave, brave New World. Is it, yeah, it's not, I mean, that is the TV schedule of the 70s, isn't it? It's just a case of doing these shows in a new way, and actually that's all we want from the BBC, isn't it? Delivering that in a quality way. I agree with you, and I think the BBC still makes the most brilliant television programmes. It's just that you're still thinking about a 42-inch screen and you're not thinking about the performance and the engagement and the real discussion around a programme. You're still ma- you're still making a broadcast rather than engaging in discussion. And that's been a tricky thing for the BBC. So when you commission a series now, someone tried to commission an app for, for a one-off programme at the BBC. What, why? For what possible reason would that make sense? Just use Facebook. And it's upskilling the BBC executives to understand that I think there, there can be a five-year plan. I don't think it can be precise, but I think you know where the internet will be broadly in five years' time. Like the BBC has campaigned to be on Snapchat, and there's all manner of trust issues about the BBC being let anywhere near Snapchat. Sources close to the matter of let me know. So there can be a five-year plan, and the BBC still needs to make the best TV, and that's not going to change a great deal in five years' time. It's still going to be proper factual stuff. It's still going to be investigation. It's still going to be nature. It's still going to be food. It's still going to be brilliant programming, but it's how you commission around that. Okay. Don't worry, the media quiz is on its way. One last story, though. Univision has bought Gorka Media, the troubled gossip website that went bankrupt after a libel action brought by Hulk Hogan. Uh, Alex, it is actually, to this podcast's eternal shame that we didn't cover the Hogan trial in much depth (laughs) at all. Uh, We kind of ignored it, and and now we we have a big decision about it. So can you recap to us what happened over the last year? I'll start from the very, very beginning with Gorka. So Gorka for those who don't know is a site which kind of sells itself on the sensational it goes further and goes harder than traditional medias would feel okay with and so they decided that it was appropriate for them to publish the sexuality of um, investor and tech startup man Peter Thiel which you know is utterly irrelevant because the, the fact that the man has a sexuality is irrelevant so this obviously angered the man who is worth what 2.7 billion dollars and then they thought it would be a great idea to publish Hulk Hogan's sex tape. Once again, there are discussions to be had about the news worth of that. There is very little public interest, as the court found. Then Hulk Hogan, with the help of Peter Thiel, set up a legal case to cost them $115 million. Yeah. And a lot of the speculation has been about who contacted who in that scenario. I'm not even going to... Like, I don't think there, there is no correct answer in that, because I think they both had it out for Gorka for similar reasons um, and the fact that they came together to bankrupt Gorka so Gorka has since I think it's just been sold or in the process of being sold for $135 million so there, there is still a lot of worth in it but just with a single story you have cost your entire organisation and it just shows when you are publishing something that dangerous like we put a call into the lawyers and if the lawyers say high risk we start thinking heavily I dread to think the sort of conversations that happen before you put Hulk Hogan's sex tape online. And actually, there's a danger there, isn't there, in that, as you say, the brand is about pushing the content as far as it will go. Hmm. So you are in dangerous territory as soon as that's your brand and you're not WikiLeaks. But in that, in that conversation, where is the public interest in knowing that Hulk Hogan has sex? 
I didn't know that Hulk Hogan has sex. I I think the public need to know that Hulk Hogan has a body, has a penis, and does use it for intercourse. I think the I think the people of the world need to see that, not just pictures, video. That's what they need. Lisa, tell us about Univision, because I'd, I'd be honest, I'd not really heard of them. I know they're this massive global company, but of course they own lots of things, including The Onion now. I think it's it just goes back to everything we've been talking about for the whole of this, is, is reaching millennials. That's exactly why they're doing this. That's what every major established media company is trying to do and that's whether you're home growing your your content or whether you're buying companies like Gorka Media and The Onion so um, you know it totally makes sense it's it's just about how that fits within within the stable and as you say the brand ethos and how far you can push it you know within this new ownership will be interesting to see but hopefully they will have better news judgment than they've had up to now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, just time for our media quiz. This week it's entitled Escape from the Atlantis that is Linear Broadcasting. We all know about the coming Digigeddon, a time when the broadcast landscape sinks into an online world with chaos and uncertainty for the creative industries. It is now being celebrated in this brand new board game to be released by the Media Podcast. I have an early edition of the board game for you to try. Here's the map of the media landscape. You can see the uh, big British castle over here uh, and the continent of Murdoch. Uh, The rules are very simple. Uh, The counters in front of you are programmes from TV and radio that have been axed this week. Your job, player, is to roll the dice and decide which digital saviour to move them to. The winner is Claire Balding, the loser John Inverdale. Lisa, you're first. Let's play Escape from the Atlantis that is linear broadcasting. Roll that dice. Oh, it's come up the non-league show. Who's axed it? What's its digital saviour? I know this. It's been axed from BBC Five Live. Ting. And it's going to Audio Boom. Correct. Why? 
BBC didn't recommission it for some reason. Which is bizarre, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a show about football that's fronted by a woman and it's about football that isn't the Premiership and that's the kind of thing the BBC should be doing, isn't it? Yes. But it's been around for about five years and then on BBC Radio London for four or something. So yeah. maybe they just think, uh, you know, well, m- what are they replacing with it with? Maybe there's a bright, shiny new show and they're going to support new talent. And I they've helped the this along the way. I they just looked at and, uh, Premiership Football as well. We're like, yes, a bit tired now. Yes. I've been doing this for 40 years. <laughs> I've yeah. no idea. People no. are bored. <laughs> Alex, your role. Why has Channel 4 sitcom Raised by Wolves been axed and who is its digital saviour? Um, it's been axed because no one watched it, isn't it? That's well. It's, well, it, it, Kayleigh Moran says it's because of Bowie and Brexit. That's the that's the reason that she gave. It's not quite had the like. I haven't watched it. It's the resonance. It lacks the resonance that like Kayleigh Moran. Anything she says, you're like, oh my god, that's amazing. That program. Meh. So what she's done is she's encouraged fans to sign up on her Facebook page to move the show to a new home unspecified. I wonder if if that actually is Facebook. Netflix will pay for it, Amazon will pay for it, Facebook is paying a lot for content, but I don't think it quite... Is that the right answer? Have you, have you tried to hint, hint no, at me? No, no, no. There is the right answer. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't announced yet what's, what she's going no, to she do. Hasn't. She's got very exciting plans, apparently, behind the scenes, if the fans want it back. So it, it is down to you know whether there's an appetite for it. But it's I interesting to demonstrate that just with how many likes a post by Caitlin Moran gets, because that doesn't actually mean anything, does it, as we were saying no. earlier about video views. Mm. You know, it's clickbait, oh, my show's been axed all her fans are going to say like that doesn't mean they're going to then watch but it fa- Facebook what happens if Facebook gets into programming like so it's already tried so CNN do quite a bit of stuff BuzzFeed are being rumour has it paid a quite a large sum of money to produce live content if they produce programmes that begin their air date at you know Twitter's doing NFL games now or, or is it baseball or is it NFL or is it both I forget something American <laughs> xenophobia Hockey. on the media no, I'm, I'm not interested in sport. I'm even well, less it, interested in American It did in American get sport. 1.2 million, I think, for this last series and 1.4. So, it's, I mean, it's not a total disaster. And comedy is, you know, famously difficult genre. And, you know, Peep Show took, what, five series before it got off the ground. So, you know, there is an argument that comedy needs time to grow. And I do think she's got an important point to make about, you know, working class comedy. That you just, you know, she's really sort of championing it on that point, that it's a unique sort of voice, really, and it shouldn't be. And I think um, Ralph Little actually wrote a great blog when um, Caroline Ahern died and said you know and with Victoria Wood as well you know where are the especially female northern working class voices in comedy you know they're just not not seen Mrs Brown's boys Mm. (laughs) is she a woman really why why do you think it was decommissioned then if if it's this thing that you know that that rating wise channel 4 isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination that's kind of okay and it is this thing that isn't elsewhere. Why then was it decommissioned? It's like, expensive, what? isn't it? Comedy's expensive. You can't do okay when it costs that much. Isn't it just that? I mean, a panel show's mm. cheaper, right? Yeah, or, you know, they, they I guess the, the commissioners have to believe in the show as much as, as Catelyn Moran does. And, you know, if, if they, they've obviously weighed it up and thought, is it going to build? Is it going to grow? It, it has declined since the last series. And maybe they see it's potentially on a downward trend. Yeah, who knows? But, I mean, interesting to see if she's successful or not. Good. I'm glad that you ended it with a slightly negative note there because I want that to be bait for Kenton Allen to come back on the show. Kenton, if you're listening, come back and tell us why it's been asked. Uh, Right, here's the third question. (laughs) It's a tie in a way that isn't in any way artificial or or forced. Yeah, so it's it's who buzzes in first with this roll of the dice in our exciting board game, which I've forgotten the name of. Here it is. Vice's video series Rule Britannia. Uh, why has it been axed? Hasn't really. And what's its digital saviour? Uh, fairly obvious. Uh, who buzzes in first? 
I should know this, shouldn't I? <laughs> this is so embarrassing. It's, um, uh, it's, it's a trick question, therefore the winner can be a, a tie, because actually it's moving from digital to linear. Okay, so it's it's launching on Viceland, yes. the TV channel, yes. which is launching in the UK in Correct. mid-September on Sky. Good. Uh, yes, they've announced their first shows for the launch in September. Big Night Out, where Clive Martin explores underground party scenes across Europe. Hate for Beginners, with Jamali Maddox befriending extremists in order to better understand them, it says here. Uh, and an exploration of global tattoo culture, uh, hosted by Grace Neutral, with the working title of Needles and Pins. Uh, Alex, are you going to be tuning in? We're going back to the earlier thing about video views. It's somehow a view of a thing is worth more if it's on a television than it is on the internet. It's a, it's going to be relatively similar content. Like Big Night Out is pretty funny. I I hate enjoying it, but it is brilliant. It's genuinely good. And um, Royal Britannia has continually pushed the boundaries. Election 2010, they did wonderful coverage with Royal Britannia of young candidates. So yes, I'll be watching it, but purely for a voyeurism and then see if it actually delivers in the format of TV where before it was just online. Question. Young people, Sky. Connect those two things together. Why isn't it on Freeview and Virgin as well? Why is it on TV if you want to hit young people? Sure, like, but, but I mean, Sky in particular is actually a premium service that I imagine skews older, doesn't it? Mm, great question for Jay Hunt to ask. Yeah, there you are. You can, <laughs> can file that one away. Uh, well, that's it for our show today. One of you won. My thanks to Lisa Campbell and Alex <laughs> Hudson. Uh, subscribe to us fans for free right now on your podcast app of choice and you will get next week's media podcast Edinburgh TV special before your train leaves Waverley or your yacht leaves Lee. Uh, delete as appropriate uh, and now you're up to date with us why not get inspired by listening to the latest episode of Media Masters Chris Wright the guest this week great listen uh, and thank you to them again the Media Podcast is a PPM production my producer is Matt Hill I've been Ollie Mann until next time bye bye Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.